today. I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. It is time to get caught up on what's happening in movies, Hollywood, wherever they're filmed. But it's Chris McSannick, the MedCityMovieGuy.com with us. Good morning, Chris. Hey, greetings. So it's Hollywood. It's Atlanta, which is a big filming uh, uh, location. I, I think Hollywood's even is just more symbolic. I, I've been reading that that uh, more than half the films take place outside of not take place, but are filmed outside of Hollywood. So it's it's kind of interesting to see um, how the 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 hold on the Hollywood and the studio system. And we'll we'll circle back and talk about the movie Babylon a little bit later. Oh, but, I hope um, so. I have not. Seen yeah, that, but I want to. Yeah. The, the first thing I wanted to talk about, though, is uh, filming not in Hollywood, but in New Mexico. I think it was New Mexico where uh, Alec Baldwin apparently right. um, accidentally uh, – well, I hope it was accidentally. I'm sure it was accidentally um, shot and killed somebody. And it was just recently announced that uh, they are going to file manslaughter charges against him, which uh, uh, I, I guess it's really a matter of is that fair or not. You know, if somebody handed him a loaded gun. Should he have checked it? You know, at, at, you know, he's not a gun expert. Uh, you know, what's the process and all that? And I'm sure, I'm sure all of that is going to unfold in in the court trial on on court TV and whatnot. I think there's a lot of, of there. But but I, I wanted to mention that. But I also want to talk about a couple other situations and why why I think that this is an interesting topic to talk about. Um, one of the one of the most famous shootings. Um, was uh, Brendan Lee in the movie The Crow? If you remember the uh, uh, talk about that, I do remember the movie. I never saw it. Okay, but anyway, the uh, the actor was killed uh, the, with a bullet fragments or something or other. Um, and in that case, no criminal charges were filed. Oh. Um, it seemed to it seemed to me that there was a fairly similar case and then um the one that i remember very well uh where there were actually a, a death on the set was uh, vic morrow in the, the twilight zone movie um, oh i do remember that yeah so that was a john landis film and um, vic morrow and two two kids uh they were there was a scene i think they were in a swamp or something or other and a helicopter there was a helicopter accident they killed yes. all three of them and, and part of it was you know they're Charges about, you know, whether these kids were too young, shouldn't have been on the set or shouldn't have been on the set that long or, you know, all that sort of thing came out. Interesting thing was uh, there were criminal charges in that case, uh, but Landis, John Landis and the crew were all acquitted. So, uh, you know, from from those other two precedents. And again, now every case is not exactly the same, but from those two precedents, it does sound like, you know, for Alec Baldwin, it's just a formality that, you know, ultimately I, I, if I had to call it, you know, I watch a lot of, a lot of Matlock. So <laughs> my my JD is in Matlock. Um, I I would say that you know this is, this is unfortunate on all accounts, uh, especially the victim and the victim's family. Um, and there's certainly going to be a, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a, uh, a civil suit. You know, as as right. there, as there were as there were with the Twilight Zone. So I just thought that was an interesting bit of news. And, you know, it's it, it, the other thing to remember is um, th- when they do things like stunts and and uh, it work with work with pyrotechnics and stuff, th- th- these are dangerous things. You know, people think it's all, you know, sanitized and everything's safe. And, of course, everybody takes 
precautions. Nobody wants to die for their job, you know. Um, but uh, much of what they do is very dangerous. Stuntmen, especially uh, stuntmen and women, especially. So it's worth remembering that, you know, when you see things that are not CGI, that really is somebody driving a car over a cliff or flipping it or something that somebody in there is taking a taking a pretty big chance. And uh, a lot of injuries, especially the stunt people, as you refer, but, you know, broken bracks and they, they live a. They're they're the walking wounded often. They spend quite a bit of their time mending from injuries after things go awry. But on the legal case with Alec Baldwin, the way I see it, and this is from a distance, as you pointed out, and I'm not privy to the details, the prosecution's got one big problem here, is that they did have what they call it an armorer on set. And it's that person's job to make sure that that weapon is loaded with blanks or not loaded at all. And the you know the allegation is Alec Baldwin was grossly negligent for failing to check himself whether the gun was loaded. I can see during a trial it'd be fairly easy easy to get the jury at least members one member of the jury to go well wait a minute they had a person whose job was to make sure that was taken care of before the gun was ever placed in his hand and he is supposed to rely on the assurances of this professional that that was the case so who knows i'm not going to guess what a jury would do but i could see from a defense argument that's the way i would play it but but the the thing is that there's there's two roles that baldwin played here and this is what i had read uh leading up i and i and i can't say that i read the manslaughter uh uh the indictment but there's two roles that baldwin had one is as an actor who actually pulled the trigger and in that case you know your your comment about well, there was an armorer who was responsible. That, that's, that's, that's probably the defense. But the other role that he has is as a co-producer. So as co-producer, he's in charge or, or partly in charge or uh, a percentage in charge of the whole production. So that would still – the buck would still have to yeah. stop at some point. So that, I, that, may be, that may be what this is coming out of. And that's why, for example, you know, the John Landis got pulled in and maybe not necessarily the helicopter pilot or something like that. I, I, I would be remiss in not bringing up one of my favorite films. It's a guilty pleasure. It's definitely a drive-in quality film. It was called Stunts. It's a 1977 movie with Robert Forster and – and uh, the quality is not good, but it's a bunch of stuntmen and uh, somebody's slowly, you know, murdering each one. And and it's, a, it's kind of a little bit of a thriller. But uh, again, don't expect a lot. It's a guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> but one of the things they do is, you know, before they get on a motorcycle to do the jump, they check the brakes themselves or, you know, they they check the cabling. Is it really secure and everything like that? So so it's an interesting correlation. And um, uh, I guess it's like any other job. You know, there's a certain implied risk as well. So anyway, so I wanted to bring that up, bring yep. everybody up to speed on, on Mr. Baldwin. The latest holiday news, Hollywood news, sorry. Uh, we'll, take a, we'll take a break right now, and then we'll continue with the MedCityMovieGuy.com. Chris McSanning on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Menards has... Am- I'm Andy Brownell on... News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. So I'm flipping through the channels, watching football and not watching football. And I run, I totally forgot you were participating in the Critics' Choice Awards uh, that aired on Sunday. 
Right, I, so watched, I watched a little bit of it. I kept watching, yeah. looking at the tables. Do I see Chris? Was he no. there? No, Chris was uh, noticeably absent because last year he was <laughs> uh, he was uh, he was uh, pushed out to the overflow room and had to sneak in like a teenager at an R-rated movie. So um, I did get in last year, but I just thought that was a little undignified uh, to do. So this year, I I just I was a I, I was a, I'm a voting member. I voted and um, I, I did watch uh, probably right along with you. But a uh, couple of things that were surprising this year, <laughs> surprising maybe not so much surprising uh the best picture went to uh, a movie uh, best picture and supporting actor as long as as long as we're going to mention the movie we will um went to a film called everything everywhere all at once i've um, seen it <laughs> i i've seen it as well and um to me it was very similar to oh gee i'm gonna call it uh parasite la la land just a lot of films that you know some critics decided that this was going to be the one they were really pressing. And um, the rest of us were saying, I I guess it was an interesting film, but was it the best film? And in my case, <laughs> I, I, I would say it was not. Um, so, you know, we, we've seen this in the past. Uh, last year it was Year of the Dog, which was an okay film, was not the best film. Manchester by the Sea was another one that the critics seemed to love. Um, um, and and I don't I guess I don't get it because you know the, the the New York Times published what what they said were the ten best films of the year and except for one and I don't remember what it was I hadn't heard and other critics said the same thing we hadn't heard of any of these so when when they elevate a movie that is I, I I'm going to call it avant garde because it's it's a great it's a great way to frame it it's what does that mean that means well it's so progressive so advanced that you kind of have to like it or you're going to look like a buffoon <laughs> right um the emperor definitely oh, look at the emperor's clothes you know they're pretty awesome so anyway that was my opinion so so what is it about basically and and then i'll get to your reaction oh as well. gosh try to explain it's, this movie. yeah okay. well I, I think it's fairly <laughs> simple i mean you know at the end of at the end of it what you realize is is the main character uh maybe doesn't feel satisfied in life but as part of that realization or or because of that realization it, it intersects with multiple universes right this is a multiverse kind of sci-fi message as well and she intersects with all of these other multiverses where she has these other roles you know as a as a, as a, kung, a karate expert or whatnot things like that movie star and, yeah, yeah, star. And and I guess comes to the conclusion that no, this this is the best fit, you know, and this is the best husband and all that sort of thing. But along the way, um I just it, it was in my mind I, I use this expression as well, these third third acts where things are revealed. A little too little, too late, and too meandering to get there. So again, I I don't this is the kind of film where if it wasn't on your radar it, it, you know, and and you've seen a few clips maybe on the awards show. It's probably not going to drive you to the theater. Uh, <laughs> and I and I think it is, uh, dare I say, one of this and the other one was called the Banshees of uh, in in a I think it's pronounced. Um, as and we'll talk about that in a minute. But those I think were the two most overrated films of the year. So, uh, but but what say you? Okay, first of all, I agree with you on the awards part. Um, I was intrigued when I saw the trailer, partly because, wow, this seems way out there for this to be the one that wins the awards because it was 
not only the Critics' Choice, it was the Golden Globe Choice as well. And <laughs> it's weird, okay? The show, I mean, you want the best um, adjective to describe this movie? It's weird. Um, and I, I do not understand the gentleman receiving the best acting award for this. I didn't think his acting was all that great. It was a bit over the top most of the time. Um, but I will say this. I I actually enjoyed it. Um, as weird as it was, you came up with some other comparisons. The, I, the, the closest I could come to, and this is a really out there left field comparison, was an old film from the 80s called Buckaroo Banzai's Adventures in the Eighth <laughs> Dimension. But that and, was a fun film. That was well, and there, there's some fun to this as well because it's there, there's an extra bit of weirdness to this business. I mean, the bagel business. How did they come up with oh, this? Bagels. And, and the googly um, eyes. And the googly eyes. And the yeah, googly the eyes. I mean, it, it, it's just it's a very quirky, yeah, the, weird film. And and yeah, you know, I. I was hoping I, there was some hope for it in the first third of the film that it could have been a much better movie and had far more impactful if they had followed the path, um, you know, the di- diversion paths once again with the multiverse, which I, I had hoped that they would pursue, but they didn't. And it ended up the ending was mediocre in my view. Um, it boiled down to, as you pointed out, I, I I took it a little bit more differently that after she explored all the various variations of all the choices she could have had all those divergent paths she realized that the people that were involved with her lives and no matter how many universes she explored were the very same people that she seemed to be dissatisfied with in her actual life but in these other lives there's these same people are there but they're the same people but you know what i'm saying that i guess she needed to um come to terms with reality the way it was in order to appreciate what she has. And that's the same conclusion you had. And um, the dealings with the wayward daughter, there's a lot of angst when you're dealing with a wayward child in life. And that creates all sorts of complications. And maybe the whole thing was one giant metaphor. And, and that kind of was a little bit disappointing to me. I think I think they could have taken it a lot further. And And I'll tell you the specific moment when they could have taken it further was when they were discussing um, where he was trying to convince her that this was real, that when she was in these different universes, this is actually happening. Uh, the symptoms are all around us. You don't recognize the signs. Everything feels a little bit off. You know, you feel like your tie doesn't fit quite right. Your hairdo is just not quite right. You, you can't pinpoint what it is, but everything seems a little bit off. And you want things the way they used to be. And I thought maybe this could have been an exploration of the the angst that we all feel about the way the world is going today. That uh, we, you know, you do the surveys that show that eighty some percent of Americans feel the nation is headed in the wrong direction, or whatever statistic it was. That it would have been something larger like that, rather than just the family dynamics. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I do. And I th- I mean, there was probably some of that. And, the, you know, the other thing is because it was multi-generational. So the father, uh, actor James Hong, who's a very popular actor, he's been in a million things. Sure. I like to point out that he's originally from Minneapolis. A lot of people would be surprised to hear that, but he is a, a Minnesota native. Um, anyway, so, you know, there's, there's always a bit of, um, you know, 
things are getting worse with each generation or or are they because you know what we've learned from uh uh, no country for old men is it's kind of always been like that. And I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I still think the film was kind of all over the place. And if there was a message, you, you had to work really hard to get it. And yeah. I, I, I think it I think and we'll talk about another film called uh, A Man Called Otto in a little bit, which is similar in, in what where you're going with this. Um, sometimes the message really does need to be a little more obvious, you know, and, and maybe we'll get a tear or two out of it. I, I just think this maybe there's a, it's, it's a younger demographic they're going for that likes the concept of these alternate realities and and, and multiverses. These are this is terms that seem to be uh, more in our vocabulary in the last few years. So maybe that's part of it as well, that that's that's the vernacular that they use to get the message out. And maybe maybe there's something huh. under the surface. I don't know. Um, but be I ready to be confused. If you want to watch it, be ready to be confused. Yeah, yeah. Another film that that I that I absolutely wanted to mention because it was also overrated was this uh, movie called The Banshees of Inishirin. I think that's the pronunciation. And again, like the contenders I mentioned before, um, this is easily one of the most overrated films of the year. There's some decent performances from Colin Farrell, uh, who I think won a Golden Globe for his performance, and uh, a favorite of mine, Brendan, Brendan Gleeson, who's a, is a very popular actor as well. Uh, some good performances, but you know, it, I don't think it's enough to put this one past the goal line. Basically, you know, they're two old-time friends. Uh, uh, I, I guess I'd call it a dark Irish comedy, maybe. Um, two old friends, and suddenly one day... Gleason just says, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And Colin is, you know, intent on, um, you know, well, why not? He said, but just leave me alone. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, and I guess dark Irish comedy, maybe just like dark Guinness, it's an acquired taste. So maybe I'm not the target audience here. Um, but it is, as I said, this is a popular film, uh, at least with critics. Um, the message here. Is and I thought this part was interesting because we'll talk about this when we talk about Babylon. But the, the notion here is nothing's forever. Um, Gleason kind of turns turns a dark philosophy here that the music survives, but the fact that you know our friendship is not going to last beyond us. Um, it was just kind of weird. I, I like to say let let me say this because this will come up a couple times when somebody calls it a black comedy. I think that's kind of an escape clause. That's kind of like saying if you don't get it, you're just not sophisticated, you know. So, so, so to me, you know, a, a black comedy, dark comedy should still be a comedy. I mean, it shouldn't mean just like, well, we thought this was funny, um, and you don't get it because it's not laugh out loud. It's a dark comedy. What does that mean? I, like I said, escape clause. Um, again, Colin Farrell did okay. Brendan Gleeson, he's always a crowd pleaser, but in the end, this film, as I said, I didn't do anything for me. From what you've said, it sounds like it's a depressing film. Well, it is a depressing film. I won't even get to <laughs> get to uh, a, a a new a new meaning to the to the to the term uh, giving somebody the finger. I'll I'll leave it as that. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, you'll know when it comes up. But we'll leave that at that. <laughs> okay, we already have to take a break for news. Uh, we'll zip over to the news center and return after that with more of the. MedCityMovieGuy.com. Chris McSannick on Rochester today. News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I feel so tense and worried all the time. Is this it? Chris McSannick, the Med City Movie Guy with us on this Friday. 
I'm Andy Brownell. It's News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Chris, earlier you mentioned a film by seeing the trailers. I I really want to see. It's the Tom Hanks film. Was it Mr. Otto? A Man Called Otto. A correct. Man Called Otto. Um, I'm so, intrigued. Yeah, so th- this is a film for you and me, and I'll tell you why. If there was such a genre, I would call it the get-off-my-lawn genre. <laughs> um, this is, you know... Classic, you know, Gran Torino. In fact, it probably is more similar to Gran Torino than anything. And uh, the Bill Murray film a couple of years ago called St. Vincent. Two, oh, two, loved both of them. Right. Two outstanding films. And this is a sort of a Tom Hanks version of it. Tom Hanks, of course, is a national treasure. He's, I, I can think of one or two things of his I didn't care for. But by and large, most of what he does is pretty well picked and he's great in it. And in this case, you know, he's an old guy. His wife passed away. He's living in sort of a townhouse condominium type complex um and you know what's funny is his overreaction to everything you know every morning he gets out he walks around and hollers at people if they're parked the wrong way you know based on the the covenant of the townhouse complex and all this sort of thing and you know it's the kind of thing is he overreacts but he's also kind of right so you know when we talked about you talked about things a little earlier when you said you know 80 percent of the country thinks we're headed in the wrong direction and all that sort of thing he he's that kind of character where he's like what the heck is happening in this world you know and that sort of thing and then a young uh i think they were from mexico a young mexican couple moving across the street and they reach out to him and you know it it, it turns out it's he's he's lived a very frustrating life but for a little while anyway um some of the some of the people he encounters, some of the people he's kind of forced to help because they are helpless themselves. You know, they don't know how to work a, a crescent wrench or something like that. You know, and and um, so he's helping out a lot of the newer people. Uh, kind of slowly starts to give his life some purpose that he lost when his wife passed away. So there's a lot of poignancy in that part of it. Um, and again, you know, it's just the sort of thing where you know it's it's a joy to watch somebody being redeemed so you know that's what that was the the gist of something like gran torino where your life you know you you show this redemptive moment at the end and saint vincent it was like it, it, it's a lot like the, the concept of it's a wonderful life you know where you sit there and you can you can commiserate with yourself basically or you can you know thankfully if you don't find a lot of value somebody else points it out for you to and that's what happened in saint vincent so i think this has a lot of the elements um it's apparently it's it's actually a remake of a Swedish movie. Um, I for, I forget what it was called, but it was something like a man called, and I can't pronounce the Larsagard. Sven. A man, <laughs> called, a man Sven. called A man called Sven. <laughs> Sven. Yeah, it was Sven. No, it wasn't that. It was that was the actor's name that I just gave you. But um, the film actually the Swedish film uh, received a couple of got, got some award some love award love. Um, so yeah, you almost say, well, why do they bother remaking it? But, and I don't know the answer to that, but it was, it was a fun film. It was a charming film. Um, it's like I said, at the end, there'll be, you know, you'll, you'll be reaching for a piece of Kleenex at the end, but, um, or your sleeve, I guess, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, so yeah, I would recommend it. It's, it's the kind of film where. You, you know, I saw it in a theater. You don't have to see it in a theater. You know, a lot of films you do, uh, they would certainly benefit from it. But uh, so if you don't see it in a theater, definitely put it on your uh, red box uh, rotation. So from a Rochester perspective, when I saw the trailer, all I could think of is the late Otto Haling, who uh, many yeah. years back was the, the, one of the our more... Piston ring cor- guy. Yeah, one of our <laughs> more quirky 
uh, characters within the city of Rochester and its history, and and you've written about them. Um, Rochester Magazine uh, Steve, has. Yeah, Steve he, Lang, though, yeah. He yeah, seems sure. like he would be the curmudgeon character that um, Tom Hanks might have based this film off of. I, I don't know. Yeah, so so Steve 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 Lang, uh, yeah, he he definitely knew, knew a lot. You're right. They they wrote about it in Rochester Magazine. Um, it, he was an interesting character, you know. Writing at you know at at first he was innovative guy, but then in the later years, he you're right. He he got a little curmudgeon-y. There's several letters to the editor where you can you can see it see it leaking out. What, where, where he was, and maybe that was because he got ripped off on the slinky. You know, I mean, they, the yeah. headline was he lost a million dollars because of that. And you want to read more about it. That's a, there's a book on Leroy Shane. That's my plug. Um, be, be, before we get to, to Babylon, which I really did want to talk about because it's one of these Hollywood epics that I hated, but I also loved. I wanted to, I wanted to just, yeah, I know. Isn't that, Ooh, that's a, definitely a stay tuned kind of statement. Uh, I wanted to say happy birthday, George Burns. Colin Clive, who was in the original Frankenstein. But more importantly, I, I wanted to – oh, and Rain Wilson, it's his birthday today. He played Dr. Demento in the Weird Al film. We talked about that last time. Um, but happy birthday to Artie Johnson. Artie Johnson, who people may or may not remember from laughing. But um, he he was in one of my all-time favorite films. It's a guilty pleasure. Love at first bite. This was a movie – <laughs> with George Hamilton as Dracula, sure. Susan St. James, and uh, and Artie Johnson. Artie Johnson was Renfield. He played a very – I mean he was probably the, the standout in the whole film. I, th- I thought it was a fun film because I'm a big fan of like universal movies, monster movies, Dracula, and things like that. So I wanted to point that out. But – and here's my segue – but it also points out – it reminds me that in April, there's a film called Renfield that is coming out. So Ari Johnson played Renfield in the Dracula movie. So you know the character. Characters like this, 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 this servant of the vampire, a servant of him. The fa- what they call it? The familiar. Okay. Oh, the, ooh, I like that. Yeah. Anyway, so that's coming out. And so I guess it's – I don't want to call it a dark comedy. It is just kind of a comedy. Uh, I guess I might even call it an action film. The the clips I've seen seem like there's a lot going on. Uh, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage plays Dracula. So um, that's going to be a uh, – that will be a fun one. So Renfield in two months. Uh, definitely wanted to point that out. And speaking of Nick Cage, I think he got, he got gypped on the um, – the best comedy because his unbearable weight uh, was definitely the, one of the best things I think that we've seen last year. Um, uh, unbearable weight of massive talent. That was Nick Cage's movie where he basically plays himself hired out to entertain at a birthday party. Uh, I, I know you remember this one. I do, but okay, that begs the question then before I take a break. Now that you reminded me, you, you said that was the best comedy. What, what film did you vote for to be the best film, the best movie of 2022? Wow. Um, I have an answer, but I didn't. I don't think that there were that many to choose from. When you talk about best, I, I went with Elvis. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I, I, for me, it, it wasn't that much to choose from. It was either El, it was going to be either Elvis or Babylon, and we'll talk about Babylon when we come back because this is a movie that could go either way. As I said, either you're going to hate it because it's so obscene, or you're going to say, "Wow, what did I just see? You know, what did I just <laughs> see?" Uh, okay, that, that's a that's a pretty good tease. We'll we'll run and do the break before he gives away anything else. 
It's Chris McSannick, the MedCityMovieGuy.com. It's Rochester Today. Back in a moment on Newstock 1340, KROCAM and 96.9 FM. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need FM. I'm Andy Brownell along with the MedCityMovieGuy.com, Chris McSannick. And I haven't seen it yet. I know I want to see it because the trailers, I'm going to use the term intrigue me again, but boy, this kind of looks like the film I really might like, Babylon, and you're saying I might not like it. Um, I'm saying that I hated it, but I also loved it. And <laughs> so let me, let, me, let me tell you why I didn't like it. And then, you know, if, if you're still with me, I'll tell you why I loved it. Um, I think the film is probably one of the most obscene things I've seen that was not rated X. And that's oh, not really? to say I've seen a lot of things that were rated X, but I, I think if there was an NC-17, and maybe this actually was, I guess I don't know what the rating is. The first 30 minutes, if you could get past the first 30 minutes, then th- th- this is, in fact, if I were to edit this film, I would cut out the first 30 minutes. And then there's a really bizarre scene, maybe three quarters of the way through another 15 minutes, I would totally get rid of. It's it's a level of debauchery that I don't think I've seen in films. Um, but the movie comes in at over three hours. All right. Oh, and, God, and I had I a whole other segment. I wanted I want to hold another segment. I wanted to do about that. We'll get to that another time. I, I think you could have cut 45 minutes out of this and it would have probably been everybody would have recognized this is the best film of the year but it is over the top in ways that i think a lot of people would probably find uncomfortable so i'll leave it at that don't need to describe them i'm just saying that i i don't think that they were necessary okay that was gonna be my question what does the debauchery play a key role in the movie well i think it does to the extent that there's a message thread in here that this is very early in you know the film industry. This takes place in 1926. Okay, one of the problems I had with the movie is it doesn't really have a feel for the 20s. That's kind of something that it's missing. It doesn't have a 20s feel to it. Something like The Great Gatsby, the Leonardo DiCaprio one, anyway, had a had a real vibe to like the Jazz Age and and all that stuff. This one doesn't really feel. You have to be reminded a couple times that you're in the 20s. However, there is a certain unhinged, uncensored, uncensored thread in this movie that works so you know it's pre-depression pre-depression depression um you know before the depression (laughs) um (laughs) early hollywood there's this obscene excess right where they're writing the rules as they go along so i think that kind of thing is is probably why they went with with so much um again uncensored debauchery i I love using that word so um i think i'll say that um so what's going on what's the plot what's this all about basically i think it's a mashup of singing in the rain and the artist the movie the artist that was out a couple years ago it was a i think it actually won several awards it was a black and white silent film if you remember Um, i do remember that that, yeah that's a bizarre description Right, I know it is. I know it is, and and the 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 crux of this is the, uh, and that's why it's a lot like singing in the rain as well. The industry is moving from silent 
to movies with sound. So it's really Hollywood in transition, but it's not just transition. It's really Hollywood having grown up from an experiment to something with sound and uh, a legit industry. So Brad Pitt, who's, who's of course good in everything he does, he plays sort of a Clark Gable, Douglas Fairbanks, you know, not swashbuckler per se, but that kind of leading man who's got the gravitas and, and the dignity. And then, um, and this is where things get a little little rough. Marco Roby, who's also a very talented actress, been in a lot of great things. She's playing sort of a it, – it's been said she's playing a Clara Bow, who was a silent actress, um, uh, turned sound. But one of her famous – one of her most famous films is called It like IT because she's the it girl. So back, you know, we, we hear that expression now. We talk about the it girl or or the X factor. So in, in the silent films in the movie in the movie It, which is one of my favorites. If you haven't seen it, I think there's a version of it on YouTube. But um it's like what what does she have? I can't I can't quite put my finger on it. It's like it, right? It's it's that uh, the X factor. It's just got something. Right. So anyway, so Roby plays a Clara Bow type character. And one of the fun things about Clara Bow is towards the end, she was a real degenerate gambler. And there's news stories you can read about, you know, her not, you know, necessarily paying her debts, um, you know, where her assistant had to move some papers around to do that. And and there's a thread in this movie that, where that actually gets pretty significant. So um, it, it, it's the kind of movie that's sort of hard to describe, except to say that it has the, I, I, I guess the grandeur of of like Leonardo DiCaprio's Great Gatsby or these in, incredible parties that are just you need cinemascope to kind of have them unfold in in the magnificence that they are. So there's an incredible amount of excess. Um, but there's also uh, almost a biblical thread in here. So one, one of my favorite uh, readings is Ecclesiastes, which is. Uh, is a great expression you'll hear me use if you see talk to me every day. I always say all is vanity. And what does that mean? It's just, you know, things are ephemeral. They're they're not gonna last forever, right? And and that is something that this movie also touches on because the Brad Pitt character, you know, he meets with with a uh uh film insider, I guess like a gossip columnist who says, you know, your your time's gonna run out. There's going to be somebody else, you know, and and then somebody after that. And the movie really is about, um, you know, we all have a, a very small slice, you know, and, and, and here we are talking about Clara Bow and so many people never heard of her. And yet sure. in that moment, in that moment, you know, when we talk about the multi-universe, in that one moment, nobody was bigger on film than you know, a Clark Gable, Douglas Fairbanks, Claire Bow, all these characters that the actors that today, you know, we don't really even think much about. And it makes you think that today these big actors, you know, the, you know, the Brad Pitt, the George Clooney, well, we're at oh, five yeah. years from now, you know, people are going to say the same thing of them. So there is some incredible insight in this movie as well. Uh, and that's why when it was over, it's it's almost emotionally um exhausting because you're like wow i i i, I still have to i i i gotta think about it you know i still have to think about it like i said that well, see, that, that, that's that's the making of a great film what you just said right there that one line i have to think about it yeah i do i do and it had a, it had a real 
it's the sort of thing where the few the few days after I saw it, I kept thinking, what what is it that I liked about it? What is it that I loved about it? What is it that I hated about it? But I kept thinking about it. And um, as I said, as I said, a warning that, you know, show up a half hour late, show up a half hour late. Exactly. And, And I really think that if you gave this movie to me and let me edit out you know the, the the opening party, and then this weird scene where they go into so it's an, like it's a, a it's an orgy. Let's just say it, right? I'm not I'm not really going to describe it. It, it is the, it, every weirdness that could go on. I think could have been told a little bit more subtly and got the message across. But I think that's not what they were going for. I think they were okay. just going for this is the excess that went on. This is the unbridled craziness of the jazz age that went on before the depression before the war uh, well after one war before the before the next one um and the way to show it was to show it and and obviously that's what they were going for and and again uh i i thought some of it was a distraction and maybe some of it was what was making preventing me from recommending this one to everyone, which is why I said, boy, if I if I had the scissors, I could turn this into something that. Yeah, but OK, th- that's not what I do. So um, <laughs> I'm just warning. I'm warning that if if you see it and you get past that first part of it and then, you know, this next part where they go into some caves and encounter some more weirdness as a scene later on, that would be a good time to go, by the way, to get more popcorn. When, when you pop. say, okay, oh, 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 this is the one that, this is the one he was telling me about. I get to see that. Chris said when they go in the cave, let's go get popcorn. Let's go. Oh, you'll know. You'll know when you see it. You'll know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. So, Well, okay. Well, in, in, for a future show, the three-hour film thing, I have to agree with you. I think it's it's too much, but We'll have to talk about that at a later date. I did want to mention a film that you haven't seen yet, but I'm going to recommend to you and anybody else listening to us. It's a quieter film, and it's called The Courier. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix film, and it's um, Cumberbatch, as you mentioned. He's the lead in this. It's a Cold War spy film based on a true story about the actions of two men one you might have heard of, one I'm betting you didn't hear of, and he's that's the main focus of this movie, who uh, very well may have saved the world through their actions. Oh, and they paid the price. They paid the price big time for what they did uh, in the service of humanity as a whole during the Cold War. And uh, I, I just loved it. I thought it was a fantastic story and made me read read up on both of the men who are depicted in this film and uh it's it's a story that needed to be told let's put it that way all right i made him um, over I, I may be guilty of overbilling it maybe when i say it <laughs> that's a little bit <laughs> well you know it's kind of like on amazon if you bought this you might like this so you know if if, if people who, who listen to us regularly if, if you, you tend to agree with what we say well then then this is exactly that's our, that's our audience um one one of the other films I, I know we're probably running low on time but i wanted to get this out there um because it, it's going to come out it's going to come and go before we get to talk again that's the uh the titanic is celebrating its 25th anniversary and um there is going to be on february 10th um, in most theaters uh, there's a re-release 
of a uh, 4K enhanced HD Ooh. version of Titanic. So um, if, like me, you didn't get to see it originally in the theater because you refused to believe it was going to be any good and only saw it you know, at home on DVD, this is a chance to, again um, – uh, take in all of these effects, the, the the grandeur, the scope of this amazing ship and tragedy and uh, halfway decent love story between Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. So that's that's an opportunity that's coming up in a few weeks. All right. That's perfect timing. It's time to say farewell for another month, Chris, and I uh, look forward to uh, chat with you in February. See where we're at uh, in movies. Maybe we'll tackle the three-hour movie, huh? Yep, we sure will. Okay. Chris McSannick, the MedCityMovieGuide.com. It's Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROCAM and 96.9 FM. Make a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep. Help protect.